going to ask you this morning to open up your Bibles to, <laughs> it is working, to open up your Bibles this morning to James chapter 1 as we continue to go through this great epistle, epistle of encouragement, epistle that challenges us day by day. On the night of October 8th, 1871, the great Chicago fire started. You may know the story. It was supposedly a cow in Miss O'Leary's barn kicked over a lantern. And Chicago would burn until October 10th. So it would burn the 8th, 9th, and 10th, bringing devastation on a grand scale. Over 17,000 buildings were burned to the ground. 300 people were killed. 100,000 people were left homeless. 3.5 square miles of city blocks were burnt to ashes. The economic impact from that in 1871 was $200 million dollars. In 1871. And one of those impacted by the Chicago fire was the great evangelist D.L. Moody. And it was reported that after the fire, someone said to him, Mr. Moody, I understand you lost everything. Of which D.L. Moody replied, I've got much more left than I lost. I am a good deal richer than you could conceive. And here is my title deed. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Revelation 21, 7. That is how it is for believers, for believers who go through and overcome trials. God has equipped us. God has enabled us. It's God's faith that sees us through, and it is God who will do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Now, I want to preface something right at the beginning. You'll always hear me say it is believers. I don't say it's us. I don't say it's we. It is those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins, who have trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that the promises of God speak to. And James is writing this epistle to believers, which is why it is incumbent upon me, as often as I can do it, to remind everyone that to be sure that you are in the faith of Christ, what constitutes, I'm digressing here for a moment, but what constitutes a believer? It is one that has repented of their sins, have placed their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Pastor, how do I know if I'm a believer? Well, the words of Jesus would tell us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you desire God? Is God, is Christ, the greatest passion, the greatest affection inside of you? Do you have a desire for holiness? Are you bothered by your sin? Are you convicted of your sin? Do you think about the Word of God? Do you meditate on the Word of God? All these things, if you do them, does not make you save. However, if you are saved, you will do them. And so as we talk about trials, if you're not in Christ, if you have not repented, if you have not been born again, then you're not going to know the comfort of the Word of God. Which is why I encourage anyone, if you are unsure to turn from your sins, to repent of your sins, place your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ and in the person of Christ, and come and get saved. Come to Christ and be saved. 
and know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because as we're going to see in our text today, God has so much more for the believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I want to begin by sharing with you, trials are intended by God, not for bad, but for good. It's a good that God is working in us. It is designed to strengthen us. It is designed to give us faith, to increase our faith in him. And I think I said this either last week or the week before, not every trial is of the devil. So don't go around saying, oh, the devil this, the devil that. Forget the devil. If you belong to Christ, then Christ is the one who is in charge of your life. And trials are, int are intended to strengthen us, as I said. In the opening words of his epistle here in James, James writes regarding having a godly perspective regarding trials. And as we've already read in the first few weeks here, in verse 2 he says what? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. In verse 3, he tells us that trials produce spiritual endurance. In verse 4, he tells us spiritual endurance produces godly perfection. In verse, five, in verse, uh, in verse 3, he says, in verse 4, he says, godly perfection produces a godly perspective revealed in the wisdom of God. In verse 5, he tells us wisdom in trials is available to all who ask God. And God will provide wisdom in abundance, overwhelmingly, and without reproach. In verse 6, speaking of asking God for wisdom, he says, but let the one who asks, ask in faith, trusting in the person and in the character of God. In verse 7 and 8, he says, but if one Ask in unbelief, let him not expect anything from God. James sums all of this up, and this is what I love. James sums all of this up in verse 12, beginning with the first key word he uses there, and we're going to look at that, blessed. And as we continue in our study James will sum up what is the reward. What is the reward for those who endure trials? And he tells us the reward is the crown of life, eternal life. James writes to remind believers that God will reward faithful believers who endure trials for their faith. And so if I have entitled this message today, The Reward of Persevering in Trials. The Reward of Persevering in Trials. And I'm well aware that all of us, at some point in our life, have gone through at least one trial. Many of us have gone through many trials. And that trials will come. They will come in your Christian life. So today we're going to look at verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, and I really want to focus in on verse 12 because I think verse 12 really becomes the cornerstone of this opening greeting of James. But let me read to you verses 9 through 12 of James 1. It says, But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position and let the rich man glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass he will pass away for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so too is the rich man in the midst of his pursuit he uh, in the midst of his pursuit will fade away blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's go into the text, beginning with verse 9. Verse 9, 
But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. You know, we saw in verses 6 through 8, they contrasted faith with doubt. And we went last week through a deep dive of what living, active, biblical faith is. We trust in the plan and in the purpose and in the person and in the character of God. That's where we put all of our trust. In verses 9 through 11, you're going to notice that it's going to contrast the poor with the rich as it relates to their faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, you take a look at the word text, that word but is a conjunction. It joins two independent thoughts together. It pulls it together. Right? It links not only the two verses, but more importantly, it links the context. So if you look at verses 6 through 8, it says, But let him ask in faith, for without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being unstable man, um, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. But there's the joining. Let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position and let the rich man give glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. And when I was first studying this, many times I've read through James, I said, that didn't seem like it fit. You know, here he is talking about faith and saying, well, you know, you have to have faith and if you don't have faith, you're double-minded, you're unstable in the ways and then we segue into rich. But I think I've shared with you that um, contextually and historically, those to whom James are writing are Jewish believers, many of whom had been forcibly relocated by the Romans to other areas, many of whom were excommunicated from the synagogue because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So we could see that James contrasts faith and doubt, and here he contrasts those that have versus those that have not. The word there used for brother, adelphos, there in the Greek, is used in the New Testament to describe a Christian brother. So contextually, although uh, it may seem generically rich or poor, he's really talking about those brothers who are needy, or those brothers who have had abundance. And the message is simply this. Although he may be poor in the things of the world, he can glory in Christ if he is rich in faith. That's the text. That's the context. You may have lost everything. You may be poor. You may be a servant. But those that are poor can be very, very rich in faith. And because they're rich in faith, they can rejoice. They can glory in their high position. What is the high position? Being rich in faith. You take a look at an audience like this, some of you have more than others. Some have less than others. That is not a reflection of your respective spirituality. Right? Some that that have less are very rich in faith. And can encourage the other one. Which takes us to verse 10. He says, And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. And the rich man also appears to be a brother in Christ. James says he is to glory in his humiliation and his low estate. As I mentioned, some had their homes confiscated. Some had their assets taken away. I think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was the teacher of the Pharisees. In, in, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus had an enviable position in Israel. He was the teacher of teachers. And it's also reported historically he was one of the wealthiest men in all of Jerusalem. Nicodemus, after John chapter 3, follows Christ, becomes a believer in Christ, is excommunicated from the synagogue, is excommunicated from the Pharisees, is driven out into the Judean wilderness where Nicodemus will die in abstract poverty. 
abstract poverty. But yet, Nicodemus was rich in faith. James says here, listen, they could take away all the riches, but you can still rejoice if you are in Christ. In verse 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too is the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Verse 11 is a, par- a parallel to Isaiah 40, 11, showing that riches are temporary. And then verse 12, we come to the summation of everything in these first 12 verses as we begin to approach verse 12. And it speaks of those who persevere on the trial for the sake of Christ. And could it be that perseverance takes many forms? These believers had experienced many types, various types of trials and various types of suffering, including, as I mentioned, the seizing of their assets, the seizing of their homes, being kicked out of where they live. But the point is that as believers, we can have hope in trials despite the adversity. We can have hope in trials. And it is that hope that causes the believer to persevere. Perseverance in and of itself does not save. Instead, Perseverance indicates saving faith in the believer. Verse 12, I personally believe, is the cornerstone of these opening verses in the epistle of James. It is in this verse that James states the reward for the person who endures trials. And as I mentioned previously, the reward is what? It's Christ. It's Christ. It's the crown of life. It's eternal life. And so as we look at verse 12, I want us to look specifically at four key words, four key words that we find in verse 12. And so that we would know that in our own suffering, that we too can have an expectation of receiving that crown of life. And the four key words we're going to look at is blessed, persevere, trial, and approved. Blessed, persevere, trial, and approved. Look at verse 12. Let's look at the first one, blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, over the years, you may have heard that that word blessed means happy. How many of you have heard that? That blessed means happy, right? But blessed means so much more than happy. In the Greek, it goes much, much deeper. One is happy because of an inner joy that is given to the believer by Christ. There is an inner joy that is in there. Bless is the inner joy of knowing God is working favorably toward me. We see this in our Lord's famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Turn there real quick to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 3 through 10. We're just going to shoot through them real quick. But hear from the Lord's own words this. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And here Jesus begins. Let me just turn there myself. Here Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eight times that word is blessed, referring to you should have that inner joy. You should have that inner um, joy, knowing that God is working for you, that God is revealing for you. And whether you are persecuted for righteousness' sake or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you are blessed because of that inner joy, knowing that God is working favorably to you. In church, whether you're in the midst of a trial or recently come out of a trial, know that God is working things favorably for you. That's the reason why you are blessed, hence you could be happy. You are not orphaned. You are not left alone. You are not left to go through the trial by yourself. God is working in you and through you for the glory of Christ and for the glory of his name. Go back to uh, James 1, just real quick. James 1. Here James uses the same word. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. And trials reveal our measure of faith. Trials reveal our measure of faith. If we encounter a trial and we murmur and we complain, if we lash out in anger, get nasty, lose our patience, that would speak of a, a shallow faith, a weaker faith, a faith that needs to be edified, a faith that needs to be built up in Christ. However, should we stumble into a trial that might be difficult, trying hard, yet we hold to Christ and his word, it testifies that we have a more mature faith and that Christ is our rock. That's why James can say, blessed is the man who perseveres on the trials. You would think that doesn't make sense. How could one be blessed and how could one be in a trial? We tend to think that when things are going right, when things are going the way they should be going, when there is no upheaval in our life, when the road is smooth and flat and we're able to sail through without any problem, well, then God's favor is upon me. But if you look at the scripture, that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? It seems to be that those with the most profound faith, many times throughout the scripture, have been some of the people who have suffered some of the hardest hardships and trials. God is always working in us. And he's always working in us for good. For good. It doesn't mean at the moment when we're experiencing the pain and the perplexity and all the other different things that we may see it at the onset for good. But we can have that confidence knowing that God is in doing it for the believer in Christ. For the believer in Christ. Trials are never intended to harm us. They're never intended to harm us, but rather to strengthen us. That's why James in James 1-2 can say, Consider it all joy, brethren. When you encounter various trials, when you stumble into various trials, I'm going to be the first one to say that when a trial comes along my way, I don't go, yippee, another great chance for God to prove it. But what happens? We're first met with perplexity. We're first met with not understanding why these things happen. We're first met with questioning. And then what happens? God secures us. 
and he stabilizes us. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I realize that when we talk about trials, that we are touching on holy ground. And I said it every week, and I'll say it one more time. I don't want anybody to think that this is an insensitive, broad-brush approach to everything. And if you've entered into a trial, if you're experiencing a trial, if you have perplexity, if you have questions, that I am somehow implying or directing to you that you're not a believer. That's not it. But I want to tell you that the Word of God is true. And I want to be able to present a godly perspective so that you can look at yourself and you can look at your situation in a trial and say God's word is true. Although I don't understand that God is working something good in me. Let's look at the second key word I want to take a look at. Persevere or endure. Blessed is the man who perseveres. King James says, blessed is the man who endureth Mm -hmm. under temptation or under trials, under a test. I've said this many times in other scripture texts, that word persevere, it speaks of bearing under the load. Mm -hmm. You're bearing under the load. You're not crushed by the load. And how do you bear under the load? This is the whole genesis of the word. How do you bear under the load? You bear under the load by God's power. God is the one who strengthens. God is the one who enables and equips. The believer being blessed with that inner joy in being in the favor of God. The believer perseveres under the load. How? Holding to the promises of God even under duress. Have you ever been under a load so heavy that all you can do is cry out and say, God, help me? Maybe you can't even say, God, help me. Maybe you just say, God, help. You ever come under a situation where the the pressure, the intensity is so magnified and you feel like you're holding on by your fingernails? where you've cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I can't do this another day. I I cannot take another blow. I know you've been there. I know many of you have been there. I know I've been there in my own life. Times that I've set apart to pray to the Lord and nothing comes out. Praise God that to the believer he's He's indwelt us with His Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit who prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches the heart and He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Praise God that we have a Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. How great is that? That when we come to points in our life where we can endure, when we're still bearing under the load, but we kind of feel like we're going down, 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 that the Holy Spirit of God will come in and pray for us, and Christ will make intercession for us, and Christ will strengthen us. We will not get crushed by the load. Now, I want to make a a point here, this this uh, perseverance that we're talking about, because I think it's very important. It's not passive perseverance. What's passive perseverance? Well, it looks something like this. Oh, well, can't do anything about it. Might as well go with the flow. Uh, It is what it is. That's not the kind of perseverance that James is speaking about. James is speaking about perseverance that comes from God. It's active. It's living. It's believing. It's the time when you get that phone call or you get that diagnosis or whatever may be your circumstance when the 
when the, when the trial enters in like a flood, when the trial comes in like a flood, it's that moment when you're overwhelmed and you're overcrushed, but all you can resort to comes out of your soul and the Word of God becomes alive to you and you purpose in your heart actively to say, I will hold to God and His promises. It's active. When the enemy comes to to tempt you, when the enemy comes to say, where is your God? When everything is going wrong, when everything looks like it's wrong, perseverance says, I cling to Christ. And I, you say like Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I will hold to him. I'm not letting go of Christ. I'm not letting go of my Savior and my Lord. I know that every word is true and I will stand on the word of God. That's active, living faith. Active, living faith. I love that verse when it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood. He comes in like a flood. You know, California has those flash floods. You walk down those, those uh, canyons in California and they're dry as a bone, right? But then you get a few rains and then what happens? All of a sudden, flash floods come out. They tell you, hey, if you see clouds overcome, get to high ground. Why? Because it comes like a flood and it sweeps everything away. You've seen what's happened over the last month in California as unexpected rains have come in and washing away roads and homes and everything else. The Word of God says sometimes the enemy comes in like a flash flood. And you're in the way. But the Spirit of God raises a standard against Him. That's perseverance. That's the kind of perseverance. We're all going to face times when our faith is going to be challenged. And we might be challenged to the core when the trial is so severe that we are left shocked, perplexed, disturbed, lacking understanding. Hey, this happens to the best of believers. But then, then an anchor of the soul begins to emerge. Whereby you find yourself holding to the plan and the purpose of God, holding to God's word, trusting in the character of God, despite the confusion, despite the pain, despite the circumstance, and faith grounds you. And you trust God. You know, the word of God says of Job that when he was tested, he did not sin. He did not sin. And when the trial came to Job, what did Job's wife tell him? Job's wife told him, hey, Job, what are you doing? Curse God and die already. Get it over with. She was from Brooklyn like where I was born. Job 2.10 says this, but he said to her, Job said to her, You speak as a foolish woman. Shall we indeed accept good? Listen to these words. Shall we indeed accept good and not adversity? The word of God goes on to say in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. See, God, as I mentioned previously, uses the trial, the strength in the believer. But our adversary, our adversary, Satan, will use the trial to tempt us to sin and do as Job's wife suggested, to curse God. Now some of you might be saying, Pastor, I would never, I would never curse God. I would never do such a thing like that. But yet when we murmur and complain, 
when we express doubt in God's plan and purpose, we disclose a part of our heart that doesn't trust God completely. Psalm 39 says this, I will guard my ways. Notice these words. That I may not sin with my tongue. And I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. One of the sins of Israel, one of the sins of Israel was their constant complaining and their constant murmuring against God. The book of Numbers records several of these events where they complained about their circumstances. But notice, God saw that complaining not against the circumstances, not against the adversity they were facing. God saw their complaining as complaints against him. Numbers 11.1 says this, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. We must remember that God is constantly working in us amid the most troublesome trial. And we must guard, listen, we must actively, consciously guard our hearts, our mouths from murmuring, grumbling, and complaining against God. We must always think as we apprehend the word of God, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will continue to do so until the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, I think I mentioned this last week, living active faith, living active faith. And by the way, I use that term specifically because I know people talk like this. I have my faith. I have my faith. Oh, I have faith. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living active faith. The faith of the believer. The faith that engages God, that takes God at his word. Living active faith in first engages the mind. It engages the mind. The next thing it will do is it will harness the will. It engages the mind. It reminds one of the promises of God. And through the Spirit of God, it harnesses the will. And it's revealed in steadfastness. It's revealed in holding to God. One of the greatest privileges I think I have as a pastor is that when people are going through a particular trial, some of them which will be beyond anything I may ever experience myself. But yet, despite the pain, despite the hurt, despite the adversity, despite the trial, they will come back to me with the word of God. We're holding, yes, it's been tough. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, there have been tears. Yes, but we are holding to Christ. We are believing God for his word. We don't understand what's happening, but we and our faith has not been moved. That's why the Apostle Paul could say before his death, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. What did he say? I've kept the faith. He kept the faith. Living, active, purposeful. He kept it. He embraced it. He never let it go. He held on to it. Church, we need to be those type of people. Church, if you are in Christ, Christ will enable you. Christ will give you the strength. Christ will give you the the, the, the vision in his plan and in his purpose and in his person to hold to Christ through the most dire circumstances. You can remember. Look at the third word. Trial. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. The King James uses the term temptation. This is the Greek word parasmos. And the word itself can have a positive or a negative meaning depending on the context. 
The positive side is this is a test. The negative side is this is temptation which leads to sin. James is talking about those that are under trial, those that are under testings from God. God tests his children, but he does not tempt his children. James 1.13 makes that clear. And it's during these tests or trials which God intends for good, as I mentioned earlier, that the tempter, the adversary, the accuser of our soul, the devil, the diablos, Satan, will attempt to use to curse God. Was not, it was not the very thing that Satan tried to get Job to do? Yes, curse God? Yes. Curse God? Once again, this is where active, living faith comes in. Where we surrender and we choose. We choose to hold to God and actively believe in the character of God. You know, how important is it Just looking at this text right here. How important is it that as a believer in Christ, we, number one, know the Word of God, which, number two, reveals the character of God, which, number three, reveals the person of God so that we can hold in His Word. I've said this many times and I'll say it again. You'll never hold. I've never seen a believer who ignores the gathering of the fellowship together, who does not read their Bible, who does not have an active prayer life, be strong and secure in their faith. Never seen it. Why? Because those three disciplines become essential. We need to be reminded of the Word of God by the study of the Word of God. We need to be reminded by the Word of God from other brothers and sisters who come and come alongside us and give us the Word of God in the midst of trial. We need to be reminded of the Word of God through the preaching of the Word of God. We need to be reminded of the character of God by understanding who God is and understanding the attributes of God. We need to Know the person of God? How? By moments of deep prayer, of being alone with God, of pouring out our hearts to God. Listen, of walking through the valley with God. I remember many years ago, my my spiritual mentor, brother by the name of Frank, Frank Milano, once said something to me that really took me back through a very tough time in my life. He said, Mark, prophets have formed on the backside of the desert. They're not for them when they're preaching out there. They're not for them in the limelight of the people. Prophets are formed on the backside of the deserts. Christians are formed In adversity, Christians are formed when their faith are challenged. Christians are formed. Faith arises in such occasions. Brother or sister, I know that many of you face adversity and trials that test your faith. My encouragement is that we actively believe God. And we actively believe that God will reward faithfulness. He will reward perseverance in trials. We must come, as the writer of Hebrews 11.6 says, by faith we must come assured. And that assurance is that the Lord will fulfill all that he says he will do. And we must come convicted. We must have that inner conviction That God is whom he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Living faith, active faith, is not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of the heart. 
And so my encouragement to you this morning is hold to Christ. He will sustain you. Hold to Christ. He will deliver you. Hold to Christ. Why? Because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And lastly, the question you should be asking is, why should we hold to Christ? Which brings us to the fourth key word, approved or tried. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Approved, tried, it means tested. It means validated. What passes the necessary test. Why? Because it's genuine. My wife laughs at me, but anytime I see a sign that says free valet parking, I take it. I take it. And whether it's a restaurant or it's some kind of event and I go in and I get the, the ticket validated, then I come out like a big shot at the end of the thing and I go, oh, get my car over here. And he gets my car and it's free. Why? Because it's been validated. It's been legitimized. Oh, the test comes to validate. The test comes to approve the believer. What a great statement that we would be validated by God. That brother, that sister, that's mine. They've been through the fire. They've been through the flood. They've been through the valley. And they are validated. They never let go. Of Christ. It is in passing the test that we are approved, we are validated by God. And this is the same word, by the way, found in 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to uh, present yourself, approve to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. This word speaks of being validated by God because one has passed the test. One has passed the test. Therefore, they are validated by God. Trials are allowed in our lives because the trials test our faith to validate its genuineness. Jesus gave an illustration of this in the parable of the sowers, right? And he talks about some seed fell on the road. It was hard. The birds came and picked it away. But he talks about seed that fell on rocky soil. And that rocky soil doesn't mean that the field was strewn with rocks. There would be no rocks that you would see. It just means that the soil sat above a shallow level of hard rock. And so when the seed went into the soil and it was warded, what happened immediately? It came up and it brought forth fruit. But Jesus goes on to say that when the worries of the world came and the pressures of life came and the deceitfulness of riches came, what did it do to the word? It came and choked the word away. Why? Because it had no root. Many people profess the name of Jesus Christ. Many people will say, I'm a follower of Christ. But when trials, when temptations, when the pressures of life come, they choke the word away and they run from Christ and they are no more. That's not saving faith. And anybody could argue me if you want to argue over that point, but I'm telling you right now, the whole point of that parable is that is not what saving faith looks like. So for all the people who say, well, I accepted Jesus Christ, but then I walked away, but I'm still saved, I'm going to tell you, repent and come to Christ. Repent and come to Christ. Amen. Trials are allowed because it tests us. The Bible says in Genesis 22, God tests Abraham. The Bible says in Job, God tests Job. They're allowed to test us so that our faith and its genuine is validated. God will produce in the believer good 
fruit, some tenfold, some twentyfold, some thirtyfold. And it will not be choked away. It will not die. Listen, be encouraged if you're suffering right now. God has not forgotten you. And he shall surely bring deliverance and victory. You could put that in the bank. He will bring deliverance and he will bring victory to those who love him. The Apostle Paul said, my grace, he said, the Spirit of God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Yes, it is. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And what's the reward of perseverance? Well, the crown of life is given to those who actively persevere on the trial. You know, some of you might be saying today, nothing ever changes for me. It has been one trial after another. Things have worsened since I started this journey in Christ. Church, blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What's my admonition? Hold to your faith, dear brother or sister. The Lord has not forgotten you. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus. Hey, if you want to dismiss everything I said, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus here in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Be encouraged. Our God has not forsaken you. And he shall surely bring deliverance and victory to those who love him. For Christ and eternal life, Christ is our reward. Eternal life is our reward for persevering under trials. Let's go to Lord in prayer.